This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And you are listening to episode 51. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review the Planet Microcap podcast on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Steve Shelton, president of Cornerstone Global Group. I met Steve via my father, where they're both members of the ISEEE, International Stock Exchange Executives Emeriti. Steve's approach, as it states on his website, is an, and I quote, unbiased, technically oriented market analysis, end quote. Since meeting Steve, I've been a subscriber to his newsletter, where he provides his perspective on the market using his in-depth technical analyst approach. We've discussed microcap investing using a technical analysis approach before on the program. However, I wanted to have another discussion covering, as you will hear, the history and fundamental principles of technical analysis. The goal for this episode is to hone in on the basics and benefits of technical analysis. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 51 of the Planet Microcap podcast. Please enjoy my interview with Steve Shelton, but first, a word from our sponsor. A comprehensive streaming of market data, research, and portfolio management application for you. QuoteStream is a real-time streaming quotes and research system designed for the day trader, retail investor, institutional investor, both new and old. QuoteStream offers low-latency, tick-by-tick data, advanced charting, comprehensive technical analysis, news, and research. With no software to install and no servers to maintain, QuoteStream is the ideal solution for you. Go to stocknewsnow.com and start your free 7-day trial. Click the quote stream banner in the header or real-time quotes in the nav bar to get started building and managing your investments. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I have Steve Shelton on the program. He is the president of the Cornerstone Global Group. Steve, welcome to the Planet Microcap podcast. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on and thank you for joining me. So as we uh, normally do here on the podcast, uh, we're going to start off with your background. So Steve... Please tell me, what is your background? Uh, In a um, brief thumbnail, uh, I've been in financial services for more than, say, 30 years, plus or minus a few. Uh, I've served as a broker and an insurance agent, as well as senior management in uh, both uh, insurance and also the broker-dealer community, both on and offshore, particularly in Bermuda. My uh, professional experiences would include global macroeconomics, financial market analysis, wealth management, traditional and alternative investments, particularly hedge funds, financial planning, marketing, insurance, sales, consulting, as well as being an international speaker. Uh, I have advanced degrees in business administration economics, as well as six professional designations to include certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant, 
Chartered Life Underwriter Tax and Estate Practitioner, Certified Investment Management Analyst, and Chartered Market Technician. Uh, and currently, I'm the managing member of Cornerstone Global, which is an institutional consultancy and financial services publishing entity, as well as managing partner of Shelton Farms Enterprises, of which I was once a farmer. That's brief. I have to tell you, that is one of the best introductions because you went from saying all these different, uh, <laughs> all the different things that, all the different uh, uh, certifications you have to saying, but you know, I'm also a farmer. So I, <laughs> I uh, Steve. I, yeah, well, if you, if you would see me right now, you would concur. <laughs> Steve, how, how did you, where, where did this all start for you? You know, how did you get into uh, the investment side, the finance side of the business, and you know what is what's what was your genesis? The genesis was uh, the 1980s uh, long wave crest, which resulted in uh, you know double digit inflation and uh, a consulting crash in the uh, farm market. I mean, farms went from five thousand dollars an acre down to zero. You couldn't sell it, uh, and it just it uh, bankrupt the local banks. Uh, the harvester went out of business. Uh, it was a devastating to the farm community, and uh, later, later on, savings and loan. That drove me into uh, uh, taking uh, my uh, associate, who was a CPA, down to a, a town near Litchfield and started a CPA firm. And the genesis of that was I built six companies, and one of those companies happened to be um, a, a broker-dealer. So I wound up doing financial planning and uh, trucking, and we did all sorts of real estate. So I was licensed to do anything to anyone at any time. Mm-hmm. That's how it all started. And you're also a member of the ISEEE, correct? Because that, that's how I, I mean, that's how you met uh, my dad and, and then, I, then how I met you. Yes, and how they ever invited me into such an a, a, a gust body, I'll never understand. They must have their blinders on and their ears plugged. <laughs> and, and for those who don't know, the ISEEE uh, stands for the International Stock Executives. Uh, uh, actually, Steve, you say. What, 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 International Stocks, Executives, Emeriti, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a mouthful. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, so the reason I, I, I brought you on today because, um, you know, me and Shelly get your emails where you're, you know, you're breaking down what's going on in the markets uh, using technical analysis. You know, that is your strategy that you employ. And we've talked about it a couple times on the podcast, but I wanted to bring you in because literally you are my like day-to-day uh, barometer of what is going on. <laughs> so um, I-, I wanted to start off by, uh, before we get into how you use technical analysis for your investment strategy, you know, to start, what is technical analysis for those who don't know? For those who have the simple uh, statement is that it's really the study mm-hmm. of the price or index action within a specific market or, act, or asset. Could be a, a particular stock, or it could be the S&P 500, but it's really looking at it. And, and since most people are visual, charts is a very simple way. It's like a map uh, as you travel with in these days, GPS. And it simply guides you along. You see, you can see where you've been, where you're at, and where potentially you're going to go. Uh, and really what that says is uh, one observes over time the price or the index action at perhaps the tick level, which is, you know, really a minute area, or hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, and evenly, even quarterly time frames, depending on uh, the time interest uh, that you're dealing with. Now, shorter-term analysis is, is what a trader would look at, and I'm not a trader. So what a longer-term horizon is for the pension fund manager or asset manager that has a 
more longer time mandate. That's really what, and it's really simple, what financial, what, what technical analysis is all about. And, and just to follow up on that, because, you know, we're, this is a micro cap podcast, you know, we're talking about micro cap investing strategies, you know, what would you say to someone uh, who says, well, you know, I'm invested in, I usually just invest in uh, illiquid stocks, you know, and before they're found by institutions, you know, does technical analysis still play a part, would you say, potentially? In the, in Potentially it can. It is an issue. You, you're, you really like to have emotion in the markets, and really markets are driven by emotion, regardless of people think earnings drives. It's really, you, you've seen stocks come out and their earnings are high and the stock goes up. Or next time earnings come down high and the stock goes down. It's emotion that drives the market. So you want to see a stock that, that's being followed to some extent. So it's more difficult, and that's why in the microcap space, fundamental analysis is probably the precursor. And then the technical comes along, and, and you can, you can, you're looking for trends. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it does for you. If your fundamentals are right, your trends are going to follow. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, I guess it, it's, it's something that you can use, let's say, I mean, because there are microcaps that trade, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of shares a day. You know, it's, it's not all microcaps are not trading. You know what I mean? It's not like private equity. Right. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yes. <laughs> when they're private. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I've heard some guys that they'll tell me that you know, their stock is illiquid. And if it trades, it, it just jumps 25, 35% because there's, there's no liquidity there. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes very difficult. But as the stock gets a little bigger, uh, there's more volume. Uh, but you, frankly, even in, uh, in a, at a big time market like the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the SP 500, you have moments of, of illiquidity. And the market will cascade. There's no buyers. Mm-hmm. So, what 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 are some of the? Be- I mean, we kind of already touched on this a little bit, but you know, what what do you see as some of the benefits of technical analysis? Okay, well, this is this is this is um, it's a broad brush, and, and there's a lot of disagreement in the community. You got to remember, uh, technical analysis was the form of investing uh, up until about 1980. Um, when you really began this uh, phenomenal bull market, one of the longest ones in history. And at that point, the fundamentals sort of took over away. Uh, but the, the beneficial importance uh, of, I call it TA, technical analysis, to the advisor, even to the fiduciary, the investor, the analyst, asset manager, or a wealth manager, really depends on many factors. And that includes their past education, their experiences, their, their third-party commentary that they listen to, their human bias, which you have, we all have, and so on. But and it's, the expected T is worth will continue to be debated. Uh, but for positive impact, I would consider this first. It, it it's a price focus that brings a psychological aspect to the analysis of markets, and I mentioned mentioned that earlier, and, and to the economies. Uh, in many ways, you re, it's a reflection of mood. Remember, attitude is is, is internal. Uh, attitude then is exposed by one's behavior, and that behavior is response based on your attitude. So if you're negative, guess what your response is going to tend to be? So that's, that's why it, it impacts the human participant. And it's one of the few measures that's out there that you can really gauge emotionality or perhaps irrationality at different time frames. One of my favorite quotes of all time that I've rarely, rarely spoken about, because who is going to dig that deep except for a technician, John, the, uh, the famous John Maynard Keynes, Sir Lord John Maynard Keynes, attributed to have said this, 
There is nothing so disastrous as a rational investment policy statement in an irrational world. Now think about that. That is just, that really is mind-spilling. And uh, his, his theories have not worked all that well, but uh, this is a statement I think I could, I could hang my hat on. Now when I, when I think of that statement, I do recall, and maybe we all recall, in 1996, uh, the now famous Greenspan phrase, irrational exuberance in regard to the dot-com bubble, which burst, obviously, in 2000, was an example of persistent, positive social trend. Mood, that's all that was. And that pushed it up higher and higher and higher, as in all bubbles or other deficits. Now, the polar opposite occurred in March of 2009 when we all saw the SV plunge, or we weren't looking at the screen, didn't want to see it, to triple six spot nine, uh, perhaps an example of irrational negativity. So it really, it goes both ways and it goes to the extremes. Now, the second aspect of benefit to technical analysis, or TA, it provides a discipline, and that's important, an unemotional discipline that's based on price, and price is a fact. It's not an estimate or a guesstimate or a bias. It's a fact that reduces the impact of emotion on decision-making. What a perfect thing to have if one could use that even in, in, in management in an office or in a company. The third aspect, uh, TA contributes to one's market objectivity, and it's difficult to stay objective. You know, without a, we tend to see the market as we want to see it, rather than how it really is. And then if anyone's ever written a paper, it's researcher bias, and we all have to fight that. Then the result is the potential negative impact on optimal trading and investing, i.e., we speak, we promote our position, our book of business. One of the advantages of looking at long-range charts is that you can see more clearly from a distance. Sounds like a song, but it provides a frame of where the asset has been, where it's at, and where it's going based on probability scenario analysis. Now that's an approach I learned as an army officer because you never leave the perimeter without another alternative, at least one or two, because once you're in, things change and you, you can't wait to make a decision you have to have already made it. That's why, and the fourth thing I would point out is it provides a graphical representation of supply and demand in action at various time frames. Graphical, it's easily seen. You don't have to be an expert. If you've ever read a map, in a car or a GPS system, you can understand a chart because a chart is nothing but a map. In the global marketplace, foreign company data, even different accounting standards uh, are, can be a daunting task for an asset manager, particularly today with what's going on, or, or someone who's investing overseas. However, TA takes all that into consideration in the summation of price of an index value, and it simply simplifies cross-border investing. You don't have to get involved in knowing gap accounting or what they're doing over there in that regard. Additionally, TA is quite adaptable to the individual asset evaluation and selection of assets, as well as um, allocation determinations, both strategic and tactical. And why, why do I say that? By using tacticals to isolate trends in both assets and indices, one can use those trends in conjunction combination with fundamental approaches to select an asset or create or modify a portfolio's asset allocation. And that is very, very, very adaptable to microcap stocks. Mm-hmm. In the end, it's, you know, TA and fundamental analysis can be used alone, but from my own personal experience, it's just an observation of working with asset managers as a consultant to them. The probability increases when you combine the two, and there's some famous hedge fund managers, which I will not speak to or nor about, who have really 
led the um, internal uh, fight to bring tea back into its own leech within their organization and use it uh, almost as much as you would watch the weather all the time. Anyway, that's, that's a long-winded example, but there are plenty of reasons and benefits to TA. So just to summarize that answer, what would you say, like, give me bullet points, like how you, in your emails. <laughs> give, me a, two, give me the, I think you said two or three in there. So what, what would be the bullet point version of that? Well, it would, the psychological aspect. Yeah. Okay. And that's, that's pretty, and the second one is the, it, it's a discipline. Mm-hmm. And the third one is it uh, keeps one, keeps one objective. Mm-hmm. Makes one objective too. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps fourth, it um, it's a uh, really a graf- a graphical representation that you can see of supply and demand interacting uh, minute by minute, day by day, year by year, mm-hmm. you know, over a decade. Mm-hmm. So then, how how would you employ technical analysis into your investing strategy? Well, uh, there's there's several ways to approach it. Um, because TA concentrates on the study of the market action while fundamental analysis focuses on the economics, force of supply and demand, they're really two different approaches, and it causes prices to move higher, lower, or go sideways, some of which are based on estimates, while TA, as I said, is really all about facts. One way to do this is, is they can be combined in that you can, ironically, when I consider these, you, you can... Um, these approaches to forecasting attempt to solve the same problem, and that's they just they, they're used to determine the direction of a price or an a- asset or an index. So, in reality, the approach, the analysis process comes from a different direction. The fundamentalist does, studies the cause of the market movement, like earnings, like earnings seasons is on. Well, the technician doesn't really care; he just looks at the effect. Uh, the technician believes that the effect is all that he or she wants or needs to know. And that the, really the reason or the causes really are unnecessary. And, and many times if you watch the news, they seem like they're made up. The fundamentalist wants to know why, uh, whereas the technician really doesn't care. Uh, that's how you apply it. Now, most market participants classify themselves either as a technician or a fundamentalist, but in reality there is a lot of overlap. So many fundamentalists have a working knowledge of, the basic tenets of charting. I mean, the, if the line is going up, you know it's bullish. The line is going down, you know it's it's bearish. And many technicians have an understanding of fundamentals. If if earnings are improving, you would think the stock would be improving. Unless there's some underlying area that one is not aware of. So at the beginning of the trend, the fundamentalists may not support or explain the reason why the market is doing such. That's because fundamentals are not apparent at that time. They don't show up to much later. That's where the combination comes into play. So it can be said that technicals tend to precede the fundamentals or stated in a different manner, market price acts as a leading indicator of the fundamentals or consensus at that moment. Now, being in Chicago, looking out over the lake right now, uh, I'm always always, uh, brought up to the thought about being a weather forecaster because technically they may use long-range radar and cloud watching I will look at the clouds, they get dark, they get light, to predict the probability of rain before the fundamental of active rain occurs, if indeed it does. So, to be sure, if the technical analysis is correct, then the fundamentals will confirm it at some point. Therefore, you, it's intuitively positive that the two should be combined. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's not a one or the other type approach. Yeah. That's my opinion. Now, you have people who, like myself, who focus in on that because I, I, you know, I, I've been trained in the fundamental cycles. I've got an MBA. But 
I tend to have gone the technical route because what I learned in commodities is uh, you can go broke being fundamentally right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, can you can you go broke going, being technically right too? I mean, you know, just uh, play devil's advocate here. <laughs> Not really, because you've got stops in place. I mean, you, sure. the reason and then many different angles here. But the reason why technicals work so well, you've got sports, you've got resistance, you've got trends. Mm. You know when you're wrong. Mm. I mean, it's very clear when you're wrong. And you can really hone that in down by using things like Elliott Wave Analysis, internal market structure that comes from, from learning over time. Or you can get an analyst in a box if you've got a, a computer and uh, say a feeder from, um, say, Thompson's Reuters. You can, you can do your own. Or read McGee and, and uh, away you go. Mm. Well, Steve, I mean, uh, you bring up an interesting idea here that I, I want to touch on is, you know, and, and I guess this might vary from everyone's strategy to strategy. But like for you, you know, how do you know when you're wrong? And then, you know, how, how do you assess that? Or how do you assess that when you know you're wrong? Once again, scenario analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, you know where you're at. You know where you're at today, which means you know what the trend is. Mm-hmm. And therefore, uh, when the price violates a trend, number one, you know there's something going on. And what helps in that regard, if you've already done your scenario planning, and if it, if it triggers certain levels, and you've seen some of my work, I say, here, here's where I'm, I'm anticipating. If it violates that, that support area, then I'm out. Or if, if, it, if, it, um, if it goes to a particular area, it's a buy, then you're long. Mm-hmm. Or if it goes sideways, you just stand aside. It will, it will essentially tell you. And the scenario analysis is you set out ahead of time so that when these things occur, you're ready to pull the trigger. You have to wait. Mm-hmm. So do that's you, really important in a time like now. Yeah, right. So, so you bring up a, this interesting idea of uh, scenario analysis. That's actually a concept we haven't brought up on the podcast before. So um, can you define that? You know, I mean, it, I, I guess intuitively it sounds very self-explanatory in a sense, but I mean – you know, how do you use that term when it comes to technical analysis? Well, um, one could say, here's, here's the price today, and the price could go up, the price could go down, the price could go sideways. That, mm-hmm. That's, I suppose, be one scenario. Mm-hmm. But I don't apply it there. What I do, I use the concept, and I, many concepts utilize, but I use Elliott um, Wave Analysis, mm-hmm. which is not like cycles. Cycles are from point A to point B, and they're very rigid. The real world is not like that. Uh, the real world in, in commodities, because it's behaviorally based, they tend to sh- they shrink or they elongate. And Elliott waves help you in that regard. All it means is you have five waves up and three waves back, five waves up, that's a bull market. And you have the opposite, that's, that's the market and the major trend. Mm-hmm. So if, if my, my stereo analysis, if I don't get the five waves and only get three, I know it's going the other direction. And so I, I correct myself. And so I use different points of Elliott Wave to give me the different scenarios, paths it could take. An example, if you have a market that's correcting, in the Elliott Wave of procedures, you have 11 different uh, structures it can take. It can be, it sounds crazy, things called zigzag or pyramids or, or triangles. And they're real world. You see them being formed right before your eyes. And you know if you're right. If, if it completes, you know you're wrong if it doesn't complete, and it, you're on to the second scenario. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I base it on probability. Based upon this probability is the best, everything lines up the most. And it's also something called the right look. If something looks right, it tends to be correct. Mm-hmm. 
And that's really how it's done. It's, it's not touchy-feely at all. It's not, it's not emotional at all. It's very factually oriented. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it, there's not a lot of uh, talking to management, <laughs> it sounds like, utilizing no, this. <laughs> no, it, 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 talking to management, well, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Talk about talking one's position. Oh, uh, have you ever had? Have you ever heard a call where they say, "Oh, this this company's going down the tubes"? I don't think so. No, I don't. I, you know, to to my knowledge, I've I've yet to hear one like. That. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't. It wouldn't be in this position or her position the next day. Right. We're we're uh, we're str- we're seeking strategic alternatives. Not uh, we're we're going down. Right. <laughs> So we got we got pretty uh, in depth there talking about some of the specifics, but you know, being that you are a student of technical analysis, I thought it was only uh, right that I have to ask you. You know, what are some of the foundational beginnings of technical analysis? You know, when when did it start? That's one of the most fascinating areas because, um, and I just tripped on it in commodities uh, because of the foundation of study cycles, but. The interesting aspect, when you start digging into it, it is not nouveau. It's not new. I mean, it dates back hundreds of years to the 17th century. Um, And I've looked at this over and over again. It's fascinating stuff. And perhaps uh, the first of many to use TA uh, was a very successful rice trader in Japan. And his first name was Hama. I cannot pronounce the last name. I don't speak Japanese. But it's, it's said that he and others like him used prices to predict future uh, price movements, which was applied, really, was the first application of technical analysis and what's occurring in other areas of the world at the very same time. Uh, in fact, he is credited with fathering the candlestick charting methodology, which I might touch on. It, it's rather robust, but his success uh, resulted in amassing of a personal fortune in today's value would be over $100 billion using TA. Now, if that if you want to use the emotion of greed, there, there would be a strong leaning for someone to do that. Now, additionally, more currently, we've all heard of Charles Dow, and he founded the Wall Street Journal, and he was also a creator of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and, and what many people don't realize that he actually created the uh, railroad uh, average first in the same year, uh, 96, I believe. And, of course, the first Dow only had 12 stocks. But now here, he, very essential to, to TA and really fundamental to it. He believed, Charles Dow, believed that the movement of stock prices reflected the judgment of the investing public at large and represented an evaluation of future probabilities affecting industries. Now, here's what his reasoning was, and this reasoning still applies today, that the market's pricing of security represents the, the composite knowledge and the appraisal of everyone interested in that issue. He and I, we both strongly agree that the market's evaluation was perhaps the shrewdest appraisal of future conditions, future conditions, not just present, future conditions, since it integrated all facts, estimates, surmises, hopes, fears of all the interested parties at any point in time. I mean, it's amazing. And his editorials put this forth, and which really became known as the Dow Theory, which is interesting to some people. Uh, but then another person came along, Richard Schaubacher, who was the editor of Forbes magazine. Um, and he put forth many of these same efforts and activities into the, the Dow Jones. But then later on, what was, what was really interesting, he brought in his brother-in-law, John McGee, and then John Edwards, 
who is an MIT alum, and my daughter graduated from MIT, so it's going to be a, a great work. But their, their seminal work, which I recommend anyone read it, is called The Technical Analysis of Stock Trends. It was written in, in 1948. Absolutely fascinating. The, the Technical Analysis of Stock Trends by Edwards and McGee. It is the, it is the Bible of TA, and something I teased on a long time ago. Now, if you want something more current, the lighter reading, then I would suggest um, Andrew Lowe, a professor at MIT, came out uh, a year or two ago. Fascinating book with some people that we probably all know and heard of. Uh, the t- title of the book was The Heretics of, of Finance. And the reason he said it, because in many circles, uh, technical analysis is, look, is frowned upon. It's something that was used back in you know, the dark ages. But, and then the fundamentals came along. The CFAs have done a great job of promoting their approach. Where the uh, the technicians have not, but now uh, we have the CMT Association that's doing a very very good job and uh, awarding the designation to those who would like to seek such. So that's that's a great foundation. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of years. So, what would you say? I mean, we've kind of covered this a little uh, more or less, but you know, just to bring it all home in this uh, with the following question. You know, what what are the fundamental principles of technical analysis taking it back from that from the 17th century in japan to now you know what what are the core fundamentals that you follow every single day well uh there are a few and there are many but we'll we'll slim them down um i think the cornerstone principle no pun upon my company but (laughs) the cornerstone principle of technical analysis this, this was echoed by dow and also Edwards and also McGee, because that, that makes it the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Is that the market discounts everything. So if you're a technician, uh, you believe everything that can affect the price fundamentally, psychologically, politically, and no matter what, it's all fully reflected in, reflected in the price at a point in time. And that's all you need to know. Uh, the second thing is that these price prices daily, weekly, or five-minute bars, 15, 20-minute, hourly, they tend to create a trend. And I might add, they also create price patterns. And these patterns tend to be um, um, continuous. They tend to repeat themselves, and they reflect a certain trend in order. For example, you tend to see uh, ending diagonals at the end of a major move, and things of that type. And so these trends depend on the focus of the advisor, the investment manager, and so on, but they could be in minutes, hours, days, years. It's whatever you're looking at. But you've all heard it said, you know, the, the trend is your friend. It's, it's overplayed. And I often say, and I change this around, the trend is your friend, but all trends end. But they're the start of a new trend. So opportunity abounds. And what that does, it takes you away from being trend-bound. It takes you away from being, oh, it's going to go up or it's going to go down. No, I'm always looking and using analyses where, where it could. Mm-hmm. Or it could. So you one could say, well, Steve, you've been buried since 2009. Well, on a long-term perspective, a secular bear market, in my opinion, began in 2000. Mm-hmm. And it consists of certain kinds of moves. So therefore, the one on 209, probability-wise, was not the last down move. So has it gone, has, there's only been twice since 2009 that, that it triggered a potential decline. That was 2011 and 2016. It triggered a lot of moving averages but it came right back. So that kept you honest. Mm -hmm. A third thing I look at is volume, 
because volume tends to confirm the trend when you see an increase in volume and it confirms a counter trend moved by a decrease in volume. So volume is important. Uh, and now with the advent of, uh, advent of dark pools, it's, it's hard to look at old volume numbers because a lot of the volume is not going through the exchanges perhaps, but you can use near-term volume. The fourth thing is once a trend has been established, it really does persist and it carries on and on and on into bubble territory or into you know extreme irrational uh, negative territory. So I, once a trend is, and that's part of really Dow theory, is you have a primary trend. The truth is, within a market you have you have a primary trend, which is also part of LA, which is means it's a longer term trend. So the trend since 2009, that is definitely a long term trend. Now in between that you have intermediate trends, and the intermediate trend was a corrective trend in 2011 and 2016. Those were corrective trends, and they they if you if you would allow. Uh, 2016 was what we refer to as a fourth wave low, and we're working on the last move up within this 209 level. Mm-hmm. And lastly, I would say that um, uh, as the market reflects the participants in the aggregate, these tend to be repetitious in price and patterns which reflect bull and bear markets. So some they might call this behavioral finance, but uh, this, uh, I use this to help me to treat mass psychology and their, their repetition and responses to stimuli. Mm-hmm. So I know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Have a higher opportunity of probability of being correct, mm-hmm. if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. So, so then what, what are the different branches of technical analysis? Well, the first <laughs> one has to be sentiment. I mean, and you hear this, we're, we're like sentiment numbers right now are off the wall. People are just very, very positive. And, and that's, that's what you expect. The day was a little bit different. They tripped up and uh, people are not quite as positive as they were for the moment. And there's many uh, advisory services out there that provide sentiment indicators and numbers. And really, that kind of an indicator is an expectational, expectational indicator that monitors the action of different market participants. You know, you can you find mutual fund managers, investors, newsletter writers are the worst. Uh, you know, history says if they tell you it's a bull, you want to run the other way. It's, it's, it's odd, but that seems to be how it works. Uh, and the assumption is that market participants are consistent in their actions at turning points. They tend to be wrong at tops and wrong at bottoms. They, since it's a consensus or majority, so you use that opinion, that sentiment, to help in that regard. And next would be flow of funds, flow of funds, which involves the analysis of financial positions of various investors. Are they in cash? Or are they in bonds or in stock and what percentage? A higher percentage, then that tends to tell you where, where behaviorally where they're at. And at some point in time, uh, you know, the last fool buys or the last fool sells, and that's it. There's no one to sell or buy. Mm-hmm. And so the flow of funds helps to give you uh, an indication of that. And you can tell internally what's happening is momentum is waning. And momentum is another one that I look at a lot as well. So that gives you some idea. But some of the others just... Just to touch on briefly, you also can look at trend lines, which I dearly love, of course. Trend channels and prices tend to stay within those channels. Volume, as I mentioned, cycles, price patterns, price rates of change, uh, stochastic oscillators, which are charming, sounding and charming to use, and also relative strength index. And those, the RSI, relative strength index, is very important right now because in many of the major markets, you are seeing, uh, even the microcap space, you're seeing dramatic uh, negative um, uh, negative uh, um, indications uh, that are telling you that a top of some sort is nearby. Mm-hmm. It's called negative divergence. And you can have positive divergence, too. 
So what what are the different chart types and and why would you use each? You touched on this a little bit earlier, you know, when you you mentioned uh, I think the candlestick chart. You know, what what are some what are these you know, please describe all these different types of charts charts and why why I would use which one? No, there's 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 many many different kinds. So people come up with them all the all the time. I'll, I'll give you the, the basic ones. And first one is the line chart. Once again, it looks like your roadmap. And all it is is it's uh, uh, at the end of each day in some particular asset or index. That's a point. Next day, that's a point. Next day, that's a point. And you connect those dots, and you get a line. The line is going up. The line is going down. The line is going sideways. That's trend. That's a, that's that's one kind of a graph chart. The bar graph is the most widely used. It's the one I use 99% of the time. And it's the reason for it. It gives me everything I really need to know. Um, but then I hand annotate them with things like Elliott Wave. But it becomes, it becomes the basic. And all it really does is it gives you the high and the low of the day or the time frame you're looking at. It could be a five-minute, 15-minute, could be a quarter, could be a month or a year. Gives you the high and low, and the left side it gives you a hash mark. That's the open. On the right side it gives you a hash mark, and that's a close. And so that can tell you if you've got reversal. That can tell you if it's an inside day. That can tell you a lot of things that you can read into. But it's simple. It's simple. Uh, the other one is point and figure. It's not so simple. Uh, I have a system that will do it for me. Although I really, I usually do not do it. Um, and, and really, what it does, it's a, it's a it doesn't take into consideration time. Time is not involved at all. Mm-hmm. And the bar and line chart, chart, time is involved. With point and figure, it plots day-to-day price movements, but only in taking consideration how much it moves. So an X may be five points. You have rows of Xs, which means it's going up, rows of Os, which means it's going down. Visually, if you can imagine that. And, and you could have a row of Xs going up over many, many, many days. It, doesn't, or it could be a week, it could be a year as long as the price is moving up a certain sequential amount. And so it represents, after a while, a pattern. It represents a trend. And it also represents those points at which you would buy and sell. But it's more complex. Uh, the other one I'm going to mention is candlesticks. And candlesticks, which came from, obviously came from Japan, and brought over, and it, it, many people use them. I have a system where I can actually use it. But, but then I also have a cheat sheet of what all these different candle patterns create because a, a candle pattern is much like a line pattern. You have the, the body of the candle, which is really the open and the close, and so it, it makes it very large, open and close. And then to the center is the day, uh, uh, high and low. That is the wick. So in the body is the candle. It's the fat part in the center. And the line running through it is the wick, the high and the low. And when you get various formations of these, you have things like a cloud cover or spinning doji. Uh, they all have meanings, and historically, it can result in uh, in certain price moves. And you can combine all these, by the way. And sometimes, what I'll do if I if I'm not definitive on something, I will I'll go back. I'll look at the the um, candlestick charts. Uh, they can be. It can be interesting, but you've got other things. You've got equi volume, three line breaks, all kinds of other, but they're really esoteric, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, Steve, I wanted to hit on a point that you said earlier, and we've kind of joked about throughout this interview. And uh, is the joke being from the when we were talking about the different branches and how it's uh, you know it's one big tree versus a stump, you know. What are, what are some of the what, – what's been happening currently – uh, in the marketplace that has been, 
I guess, a threat, so to speak, to, you know, individuals like you and me from uh, being able to profit off using technical analysis as a strategy? Um, repeat that again. I didn't quite understand. Well, I guess my, my big question is when it comes to, um, like, uh, you know, the book Flash Funders and, or, uh, or Flash, Flash Boys, sorry, uh-huh. Flash Boys and Flash Trading and this uh, high, high volume trading. And it's all based no, on no. data indicators, you know. So what, what, how is this all affecting maybe uh, you or me using uh, technical analysis as a strategy? Daily price action can be manipulated, perhaps. But longer term price action cannot. Now, when you have central banks come in like they've done, uh, and they've essentially been a a liquidity play, Mm -hmm. and you saw where 67% of the world's uh, debt is under 0%, and the only place to go is into the marketplace. It really, technicals has worked wonders because it simply followed the trend. It didn't matter what the central banks did. And that's why daily things can happen, but when you get into longer time frames, it's not true. And another factoid is that underlying a great deal of technical analysis are Fibonacci ratios. Now, Fibonacci's were Leonardo Fibonacci, who came from Pisa in Italy, P-I-S-A, where they had the Leaning Tower. And they have a statue, I've seen it, of him there. He is the individual who brought uh, into the Western world modern mathematics. And it's these progressions that you find in ratios, you find in architecture, you find them in seashells, you find them in um, uh, all sorts of things in, in nature. And believe it or not, they recur com- over and over again in the markets. Markets tend to move in Fibonacci ratios, even when the flash guys get involved, the algo guys get involved. And so the most, most um, successful algo traders I have come across really embody Fibonacci numbers. And it doesn't matter what the central bank has done or all of these other people are doing. The market is bigger than all of them, particularly the global market. You can't manipulate the whole globe right. forever. So, so these Fibonacci movements, and right. I, I place the grids. When I get, you know, I think a particular low, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, see a retracement, which is a correction, which, which relieves the oversold, overbought position of an attitude of individuals. I will see Fibonacci retracements, uh, say, at uh, 0.32 or 0.50 or 0.67. It's amazing. And they'll come right up there and stop or go right down there and stop. And so you can actually build within those other Fibonacci ratios. So it, what you're seeing going around you really doesn't have as much impact as you would think. In fact, it, it, it still works just the same. Whereas fundamental analysis, when they've had a real issue, because the fundamentals haven't been working as well anymore. Because the numbers coming out of Washington, who believe, uh, in agriculture, it's always been known. They really don't know. And they keep changing the def- definition of, of, of some of these things. And now that how are, are gap earnings really gap earnings now? Or what are they doing with the numbers? What really are the earnings? What are they hiding? Creative accounting. But when it comes to um, technos, it doesn't matter. It is what it is. And it's odd, too, because even people think, you know, crashes occur, you know, all of a sudden they just came out of nowhere. Not true. If, if you go back 29, you go back to 66, which is a, which is a 16-year bear market with the 74, 50 per second decline, the 1983 devastating decline, um, you will 
before they even get to the crash point, it was already rolling over. And it was rolling over in terms of advanced decline numbers. It was rolling over that the, the, the weak hands were buying into the strong hands. The more retail was coming in, the, the higher the number of margin uh, indebtedness, like we've got right now. Um, so, sum it up, TA works in almost all market conditions over time. Day-to-day, maybe not. Although, I tell you, I, I use them sometimes on 15-minute bars, and it's a lovely thing to see. Like the day's action was quite quite interesting. You, you, you came out of a, um, a triangle, and it was an ending triangle. It occurs in a certain position within a move, and it rallied right up to that point, and, and I think you've seen the top of wave three. And now we're moving into to, uh, uh, intermediate four. Anyway, that's how I see it. So what, what experience or experiences do you look back on in your career uh, that you, you kind of always refer to or were the best learning experiences? Uh, well, I think that's simple for me. It really goes back to my farming agrarian heritage and finding out that the, the numbers coming out of D.C. were not always that accurate, nor could they be. They're estimates of grain supply, right? All of a sudden, one day you have oversupply, next day you have undersupply. How are you supposed to react to that? You can't. But the market tends to know. And it tends to show you that. So as a country point commodity trader and hedger, and believe me, all hedgers wind up trading. I, been, I was hedging grain, but I was also uh, I was also speculating on, you remember, gold. Gold was a high flyer. 1980? Now, here's a little, another factoid. 1980 was around the top of the gold market. And if you take that 30 years forward, you come around 2011, right? Plus or minus one year. Commodities top. 30 years top to top. They bottom 30 years bottom to bottom. It's like clockwork. Go way, you can keep going way on back. There's where TA really comes in handy. That's big picture, but it certainly keeps you knowing that if commodities are in a long-term secular bear market, the U.S. dollar is a long-term secular bull market. Yeah, that's just part of intermarket analysis, which we haven't talked about yet. But when you, you instead of looking at just one asset, you look at uh, the asset, the asset class, then you look at, say, equities in its entirety. You look at global equities. You look at currencies. You look at commodities and, you, and, and debt instruments. And you look at them all at the same time. And they form, they form a pattern. They, they talk to one another. They move within a, a correlations of some degree. So you can confirm your trends in that way. So I, I found that was very, very um, beneficial. I go back to all the time. And also, I learned that through the Foundation for Study of Cycles. And I would suggest anybody belong to an organization. It's a wealth of knowledge. And that's what I really learned about cyclical analysis, which is a branch of TA. And I also learned about embraced the concept of the long wave cycle or the K wave, which was brought to this country by a Harvard professor, but actually the work was originally done by someone Joseph Solon had sanctioned to find out when Western civilization was going to cease, and he said it would not because every 60 years or so, they cleanse their economy, and it comes back again. That happens to be the winter mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the commodity one is the biggest thing. Uh, the scenario analysis, which I, I would discover as an Army officer, really helped to play a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And I think Elliott Wave also. Uh, really was the, the, the cherry on top of the Sunday. It really helped bring it all together. And it's not as, um, uh, there's an old joke, you put 10 LA in a room and you get 10 different you know, labelings. And no, 
and at the end of the day, Dante, it's really Fibonacci oriented, mm-hmm. and it's really behavioral oriented. And the funny thing about that, and it's not so funny, is that it is really behavioral economics. And what if, what 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 part of economics today has changed? We've moved away from Keynesian, the monetary theory, because they haven't worked. And we look around the world; they tried to inflate their way out of it, like. Keynes indicated they should, and we're still looking at, in, in Europe last last year, they had a negative spot one, two inflation rate. This year, they're barely above even. The U.S. can't grow itself out of it, and the inflation's almost, you know, Zippo here as well. So you really you really have to question that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and I always find the CMT organization, uh, the Association of Chartered Market Technicians, uh, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a part of that organization, yes. Yeah, that's correct. And, and I was, by the way, I didn't do it my own volition. I was on a board of STIFMA. Um, it used to be SIA, uh, which is the organization that uh, the, the group that works and represents uh, the major banks and broker dealers and like in New York City. And on the board was a gentleman, Ralph Acampora, who helped found that group organization many, many, many years ago. And he is the one that uh, go to me into um, doing it. And I did it, and I was I was I was shocked. I was forced to learn a lot of esoteric things that I would have never learned before. That I now have maybe don't know as well as the, I I could, but at least I know they exist and how to use them, and and how they combine with fundamentals. Right. So, you know, you brought up this term, so you know I'm going to have to ask you: inner market analysis. You know, tell me if you could. You know, what what's what is the importance to technical analysis this this concept to to microcap stocks is that it yes okay well here's how I how I approach all um, analyses and and people do it differently but I, I do it this way I call it framing I go back as far as I can matter of fact I have charts on the Dow Jones industrial average going back to the 1800s and splice it with British cycles going back in the 1700s and it's unbelievable what you can see out of that. So first, I look at the big picture. And if I'm looking at the big picture, even when I'm considering uh, microcap stocks, I start with the big picture on large cap stocks and work my way down because they're all interconnected in some way. So first thing today is large caps are exhibiting more strength than small caps. I mean, uh, the Russell 1000, I use the Russell because I use the, the uh, microcap index for that. The Russell 1000, which are large caps, made its last new high this August, and it's currently over its 50 and 200-day simple moving average. And it's within this trend channel. So the trend is still up, but longer-sighted internal, statistical, and cyclical technicals are warning of a bearish potential in 2007. Now, once again, it's talking about potential turning points, scenario analysis, to be prepared if that occurs. Larger picture, the Dow Jones Industrial Average appears to be creating a triple top. Now, listen to this. Triple top, 2000, 2007, 2017. 17-year duration, Fibonacci. This is the opposite of the triple bottom in 32 and 1942 and 1949. 17 years duration. Ironic, isn't it? And you see this kind of thing over and over again. And it just so happens to coincide with the topic of a 250-year equity cycle that began in the 1700s during the time of the French Revolution, the American Revolution. Now, I ask you, what is going on around the world right now? Brexit, it's a revolution. I mean, the, even in, in the, the five-star movement in Italy, it's a revolution. It's a different one. It's a revolution to the ballot box. Yes, you've got some, 
to warring activities, no question. And there's a phenomenal cycle on that, uh, introduced by R.N. Wheeler. It's called the Wheeler Drought Cycle. He, coined, he did analysis going way back, I mean, B.C., uh, covering um, weather, uh, that, that, that's fascinating, so uh, wars and also prices. And it fits dovetail perfectly into that. Now, another fact. In 4 August, almost 37% of the stocks in the S&P 500 were trading below their 200-day moving average, indicating they were down between 15 30% from their 52-week highs. In other words, 37% of the S&P 500 stocks are in a bear market already. Now, very people talking about it. Now, if we move down lower, the Russell 2000, small caps, made its last new high in July and curling under its 50-day simple moving average is bearish intermediately, but over its 200-day simple moving average and within its trend line. So in essence, on a daily basis, this trend is still up, but the internal technicals are also warning of a potential change of trend. Doesn't mean it has to happen, but the warnings are out, scenario analysis is in. Now, the Russell uh, Microcap Index made its last high in July earlier and is under its 50-day simple moving average. It's intermediate-term bearish, slightly over its 200-day simple moving average, and that's a growing bearish concern. It's broken down from its daily trend channel from 2016. That's a concern. But it's still above its 2009 trend line, so that's, that is a positive that's still out there. In addition, it has exhibited momentum weakness. That's a risk-off attitude. And it has moved almost sideways from December 2016 until today, along with extreme internal bearish divergence. In essence, the microcap trend is technically still up, technically still up, but it is the weakest of the equity asset classes that I, I look at, while exhibiting um, signals of a near-term decline. And perhaps this, this decline that we're seeing, or maybe just began, will, not, it will, it will go for weeks, and we may be able to see that maybe turn around and make it run for one more new high. That's always a part of the scenario analysis. That's a possibility. Or this could be it. Or it may go on further. All these things will come out as we, as we move along. But right now, I'd be looking to the downside. So with that big picture backdrop to include large caps, small caps, along with micro caps, these are all suggesting cyclical bearishness in 2007 as a high probability. So you would expect passive investing to fade at least momentarily, as this will be a stock picker's mark, which is good news for the microcap space, both long and short, especially in microcaps, and especially in those issues that could experience a binary event, like in biotech. Uh, TA could be very helpful in determining and providing ongoing monitoring of individual microcap trends and indicating investing in shorting or divesting opportunities as, a, as well as a host of other indicators to confirm or disaffirm uh, one's fundamental analysis of the underlying stock. So this is this is the prime time to be using technical analysis. The most basic form would be the trends. Mm -hmm. So, Steve, what what is your advice then for new microcap investors? <clears throat> Fundamentals first, technical second. Use trends, mm -hmm. and that's simple to do. And I've looked, I've looked at some already. And, and the other thing I would suggest is, even within the microcap sector, is do a comparison between sectors, see which one is strong. Mm -hmm. Ist. Because if you've, if, markets can be going down, but there are certain sectors that can be going up. Um, 
Staples, for example, and microcap has has a segment uh, in that. And if that's what's going up, then you pick the best microcap stock in that uptrending segment. You follow me? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's pretty darn simple to do. Mm-hmm. It's just finding them. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's what they have sorters for, right? And you go. Um, and it's it, the one thing about the microcap space. If you use the index set forth by Russell, you know those stocks. Right. That that much you do know. You don't know the unknowns. The trouble with the unknowns is they may not have the following. If they don't have the following, particularly on Wall Street, you know, and research. Then you, you, you're going to have liquidity issues. Mm-hmm. And and then the technos won't work. The fundamentals won't work either. So, Steve, so you either help oh, yeah. them be discovered. That's what you all do, right? Yep. <laughs> exactly what we do. <laughs> so, you're, in many ways, you uh, you are helping the the uh, uh, technicians out and the fundamentals out. We're trying, you know. We just want to help get these stories out there. You know, that's that's the the you know the meat and potatoes well, maybe, of it. Maybe maybe SNN should be a branch of TA. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a high up there branch, right? You have to climb to, or no? It's a low, it's a low hanging branch. It's right there. It's easily accessible. All I can tell you is, don't go too far out on the on the limb of the branch. Okay. Yeah, understand. <laughs> understand. So, Steve, where where can my audience go and find more information about you and uh, maybe some of your your musings and insights? Mostly musings. www.cornerstoneglobalgroup.com. <laughs> uh, That's simple. Steve, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it, and I have learned a lot. Well, now you have a lot to unlearn because <laughs> <laughs> you, you know one only has a certain hard disk capacity, right? <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, I have, anyway, I, it's been a pleasure, and now I get to see my boats bob up and down again. Nice. Enjoy. <laughs> Will do. All the best. You too. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you, Steve. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and thank you, Steve, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast, go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap podcast, or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap podcast, where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of StockNewsNow.com, the official microcap news source, and the Microcap Review Magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.